This time on the Internet Computer Weekly, I'm joined by Mike Schwartz of Origin. Origin is one of the original projects building on the Internet Computer, and it had its origins way back in some early discussions you had with Dominic Williams. Is that correct? That is correct. In fact, it's about 2015, I think, when this part of the journey began, when I first met Dominic. And I was kind of fascinated by what was happening with decentralization. It taken me a number of years to really stick my head under the hood properly. I met Dominic and a few folks like him at the core of invention around that time in 2015. And uh, when I was thinking about migrating industry to open decentralized infrastructure, quickly discovered that there were some problems around scalability, capacity, performance, governance mechanisms. But there was a lot that was great about it. And uh, I was just hopeful that someone smarter than me would uh, start solving some of those other problems and bring those properties to bear. And poking around in the community there, Dom was really the only one who was not only articulating those problems, but was proposing solutions for them while retaining the whole pure notion of decentralization and staying open. And that sort of began a journey, which is, I guess, is in its seventh year now. It's crazy to hear and just to think how long this has been waiting. Yeah. But, you know, every step of the way, you know, and I've obviously been pretty close to what's now become the internet computer along the way. There's been all sorts of suggestions and criticisms and comments about delays and so forth. But as far as I'm concerned, every step of the way, there's a very good reason for continuing on with the R&D to get to a place which we've now got to, which Dominic's team has got to, and not to jump the gun, you know, not to release too early and sort of be trying to attend to the plane while it's flying 36,000 feet. And, you know, some people choose that route, but I think the series of decisions was almost entirely very good series over that time frame. You know, it's a very, very complex endeavor, an extraordinary one, and world-changing for sure. And you know, it's taken immense talent and time to get to this point. And uh, you know, I have nothing but admiration for Tom and the team. We've touched on a bunch of little things here. Let's go right back to the start. What's your background? Well, I was a bit of a data geek, I suppose. First, when I first tried to do something with my life that mattered, I had a few attempts at doing things that didn't matter. <laughs> and that made me not much fun at dinner parties, but I was fascinated by data and data architecture. And I sort of somehow bounced off the walls to end up leading data architecture at Goldman Sachs Funds Management on Wall Street in the 90s. And around that time, there was some great invention going on there too. And uh, in particular, in my area, around the beginnings of what became database replication. And if I look back at that now, really a lot of what was there is what's being done now. But there are some very important key things missing back then. So, you know, we were kind of writing code effectively to read the logs and see what data had been written to the primary and pumping it out to a replica somewhere in Tokyo or London as quickly as possible. And then there were stored procedures that would also kind of go with it. So you had data and logic being replicated. And, yeah, you might call that distributed ledger and distributed code or logic or even, dare I say, a distributed organization of sorts, right? But at least one giant floor was all controlled by 
a centralized nervous system. And so it still had that vulnerability and it still had humans at the controls at that core. And when there was an issue, which of course there was because, you know, there's things like electricity involved, you would have this horrendous series of days or weeks trying to recover the primary and all the replicas and resync. So I'm very, very familiar with backup, failover, recovery, and all of those nasty things and how many people and how much money it takes to do that well. You know, we fast forward to now, a lot of the things that you don't need to worry about now are backup, failover, recovery, content distribution networks, firewalls, all those things that can go away now. And that's just some of the benefits around cost and resourcing and and complexity, which equals security issues. So these things are all related ultimately. So if I look back then, yes, I was deep into that world and fascinated by it, enjoyed it, learned an enormous amount. You know, I did a bunch of other startups, corporate roles, various things between the 90s and sort of 2012 or so when I really kind of looked at Bitcoin. And, you know, the consensus mechanism was brilliant. As simple as it was in its first incarnation, it just seemed, it was one of those moments when you just thought, ah, that's what was missing, right? (laughs) These guys are really clever. I think I'd better look uh, more closely and see if I can use some of this stuff. And then I started to think, well, this is what commerce should be migrating to, global commerce, for the benefit of society and business and government. And I thought there's not many things you come across in life where all three of those facets of society can all kind of win at once together. It's usually one at the expense of another. And so, you know, that became sort of like a life's mission to figure out how to get those facets of society onto this new open infrastructure. And Dom, when I met him and he was articulating the same problems I was encountering and trying to do that, And coming up with the solutions, I thought, well, right from the start, as much as I met some really, really interesting people and absolutely brilliant people back then, there was only one choice for me, really, just on a matter of substance. Like I needed these properties to be delivered by someone and Dom was the only one purporting to do that. So, you know, it's never been for me about sort of picking something or buying some coins and shilling them or pushing it or whatever. It's always been about, if anyone else had come along and proposed some better way of delivering those properties, I would have explored what they were doing just as much as what Dom was doing, but that never happened over the last seven years, and here we are. So I think that there's so much in the internet computer that is incredible, and there's more incredible stuff to come, that the world's going to take a little while to catch up and figure it out. But as and when it does its value is going to be immense and world-changing. And I don't really have any doubt about that. It's just a substance play. And it's hard to understand that, right? Yeah, I recall Dom regularly commenting that the game will be won by product was was his mantra back in the day. I think that might have turned slightly into build it and they will come. Hopefully not. I'm sure we're all working on it now. Just before we move on, because this is starting to get to the meat of the origin story, When you were running those information systems back in the 90s, what kind of consensus were you using? You know, because we all think of like practical Byzantine fault tolerance as traditional consensus. I think that paper came out in 98 or 99, right? So you guys must have been using something to ensure consistency, right, that predated that. Well, I guess that, yeah, I touched on, you know, the reading of the logs and the basically specialized kind of store procedures and versions of two-phase commit. But, you know, really things that 
in short, things that people can meddle with if they want to, right? A disgruntled employee or a hacker or an event, you know, around power outage or something that, or flood or something where the generators don't kick in, you know, that like vulnerable. So different techniques, and many of them work very well a lot of the time when everything was running and switched on and um, all the lines were up and all the employees were relatively happy. (laughs) (laughs) Bringing this to origin, and I think the first time we met was in the Definity offices in 2018, and you were talking about pan-industrial platforms. Right, yes. In some previous lives, I was working with corporates, industry leaders, to try and help them create ventures of their own and play some attack instead of always defending against such nimble startups, you know, leveraging their balance sheets, distribution channels, customer bases, or all of those things, right? Which typical startup doesn't enjoy those benefits? So that was sort of a little bit of past history. And then as my understanding of the opportunities around open decentralized infrastructure came to bear, I figured out that, you know, extending those sorts of partnerships into industry plays where we would create industry ecosystems to accomplish things like, you know, provenance, removing middlemen, taking margin back, just having transparency where it needed to be and not where it didn't need to be, you know, for privacy, that, you know, industry plays would be incredibly beneficial. And then I thought, well, these are new platforms and they have to be pan-industry. So typically industry-specific verticals. Yeah, and one of the first ones that I was involved in was Tracer, which is De Beers was what I refer to as an anchor partner. And all credit to Bruce Cleaver, the CEO at the time, who was an incredibly visionary guy, very foresightful enough to understand that coming from an organisation that was incredibly conservative historically, and some might even say paranoid, for Bruce to step out of that and say, well, if I want to prove provenance, to my market and sustainability and ecologically, ethically well-sourced raw materials, there's no point in me owning the system and controlling it because you've still got to believe me. So, you know, I need a system that's open and decentralised and tamper-proof. And, uh, you know, when people ask me that question, I can say, don't ask me, ask that system over there, right? And look at its code. You can see what it can and can't do with its data. And I can't mess with that, right? So... Sounds easy right now, but for a CEO of a company back then to take that leap and do that was pretty extraordinary and all credit to him. We did build on Ethereum at the point because there was no internet computer. And yeah, we predictably, we encountered some of those problems. You know, couldn't scale so well, couldn't perform so well. There wasn't a governance mechanism, so we had to have board meetings and humans were involved again and they, you know, didn't always get along or were suspicious of one another or so all those sort of Typical shortcomings were a part of that in some respects. And we started with exceptional stones, which were lower volume and higher value. Just to make this clear, so De Beers is essentially the global monopoly holder of the diamond source. Yeah. At the time, about 35% of global throughput, so pretty extraordinary. And again, for almost monopolists to take this stance, you know, incredible really. So back to your question about pan-industry platforms, the thesis became to find ideally an industry leader with a visionary enough CEO who would understand all the things we just touched on and would bring outsized 
market inventory to an industry ecosystem play, a pan-industry, the seed, a pan-industry platform, and also understand that shared governance was going to be part of the program, but in being an anchor partner, help us define and deploy the launch rules for this new industry ecosystem. And they couldn't be cynical, of course. They couldn't be self-serving. But by being an anchor partner, at least you could help set rules that you wouldn't have a problem with. And so there were some benefits to being an anchor partner. And there are other things you can do. For instance, you know, if you look at what we're doing now with Origin, with luxury goods, watches, um, artworks, digital media, sports paraphernalia, take a digital twin or an NFT of a real-world physical item like a luxury watch. Now, what Origin's particularly obsessed with is making sure that we can irrefutably match that twin to a real-world physical object, in particular without meddling with the manufacturing process. You know, no chips, no barcodes, no nothing, just the inherent DNA of the object, which takes a great deal of heavy-duty science as well around computer vision and image recognition and artificial intelligence and a lot of machine learning and so forth. So a lot of deep tech there. But, you know, if you're creating a twin and that helps you match to this unique object and you can biometrically bind an owner to that twin, and then you can embed things like insurance, warranties, theft alerts, bequeathals, financing information, service records, and so on and so forth, right? So if you're an anchor partner in a pan-industry play, you're not only providing market inventory and we're delivering industry benefits to you, we can unlock a whole lot of new growth corridors to make more out of your existing inventory. Because you can reach further down the value chain. Correct, yes. And fan out into different services, peripheral services, that again are making more of the same core inventory, same core product with adjacent services, wraparounds. And so, again, as some of the enticement is, well, if you come with us early and you come with us first as an industry leader, we'll open all those doors for you. They're not at your exclusive right, but you'll get first understanding and go at picking off those cherries and getting out into market with those first. And, you know, as Bruce would say back then, generally what we found for the beers is what's good for the industry is good for the beers, right? I found that since that very simple line, but now having worked through many industries, that tends to be very true for industry leaders. So then these industry ecosystem plays inevitably very beneficial to these organisations if they can get their head around getting out of the monopolist mindset. Can you give us an insight into the projects that are underway at Origin right now? Sure. So... I won't mention too many names because there's some great names that we're working with, but we're in co-development at the moment around some products, so I'll speak somewhat abstract. But, you know, I mentioned luxury goods. Maybe we can keep talking about watches. I'll stay on that thread in a moment. Art and fractionalised art and fractionalised ownership, of course. Digital media, we're doing some work in that as well, and that's an interesting asset class because it's often a digitally native asset. So different challenges and opportunities. You don't necessarily have to map to a physical good, but then digital assets can be copied more readily, at least traditionally. And then some work which is actually going quite quickly all of a sudden around sports paraphernalia and gear and clothing and artifacts that are important in sporting events, important sporting events and the emotion that goes with that. But, you know, if you look at something like maybe we continue on with that theme around watches. So if we take a digital twin of a real physical object 
and we can irrefutably map that to the physical good, and then I can bind you, Arthur, to this twin and therefore that other item, then I can match the later date. If the purported real-world object shows up and it purports to be this object, then I can match it or attempt to match it to its original twin, right? And then I can prove authenticity and do arrest the effects of counterfeiting on, you know, exclusivity and scarcity. And the luxury sector, that's very, very important because, you know, some organisations make 40 or 50,000 watches a year on purpose. They don't want to make 80, right? Scarcity is very important. So counterfeiting and super fakes is something you really want to get rid of. And they're getting better and better all the time, as you would probably know. So if I can insert that now into, say, even a C2C transaction in the marketplace, right, where I have Again, Arthur wants to sell his watch, puts it on an online marketplace. Mike's interested in it. It may be a $50,000 watch or a $150,000 watch. That's a pretty nerve-wracking transaction for you and I to conduct online and for you to send your precious watch off and for me to send my chunk of money off. And we all cross our fingers, right? That's not much fun, right? So if you can insert into that process say, programmatic escrow of my money, first of all. So I've got to lodge my money into escrow, but you can't touch it, nor can any other human. But that signals to you that I'm serious. And then you can part with your watch and it can go, we've got a roadmap of different products. So there's human validation, there's a B2B or business validation or authentication of the object, and then there's ultimately cell phone, which is consumers can do it, right? And that's a multi-year roadmap. And we've made extraordinary progress around that technology and we will launch products in market this year. But for you to be able to send that watch off and then be sure that if it's found to be authentic and the watch, in fact, that you purport it to be, that you are absolutely guaranteed to receive your money. And similarly as me, as long as I receive the watch that I think I'm going to receive, then I have to part with that money. I can't control it anymore, right? And all of that can be ultimately programmatic. Just to imagine this process, I'm going to sell you my $50,000 watch, Mike. You put your $50,000 in an escrow account that's controlled by yourself, myself, and then an additional signatory. I could then give this watch to, say, a luxury goods logistics organization that's going to transfer it physically to you however they choose to do that, they would scan it to ensure that it was authentic and then take custody and responsibility for it in transit, deliver it to yourself, you scan it to say that, yes, this is indeed authentic, and then the money could be automatically transferred to me and the ownership of the watch would have automatically transferred to you. Am I getting that picture right? Yes, but... Importantly, there's a number of different channels to market. I was describing an online C2C marketplace. Okay. And there's various grades of the product that will come to market. So in the first instance, so if you're parting with your watch and FedEx has to pick it up or somebody has to pick it up or you have to send it somewhere, you still have to do that one action. And you don't really care if it goes straight to me or to some other validator as long as you get your money, right? The crudest version of that authentication process is a human can take a look at the digital twin and say, okay, great, this is the watch we all hoped and think it was. 
and then validate that. If it hasn't been minted, it's when, then they can mint it on the spot and they can bind me to it. So now I've not only got a watch, I've got a twin and I'm bound to it and there's all sorts of other features that can be added in there as well if I so choose. The next step in the product evolution, which is nearly there right now, is to use a machine to match that. No human expertise required. A pretty much unfailing piece of intelligence that can do that matching irrefutably again, right? But that's a B2B desktop device, right? So that could be a manufacturer, it could be a service center, it could be other third parties, not necessarily an origin authenticator, right? And then the third step in that evolution is we get that on the cell phone, that matching capability. And that means that there's a world where you and I can actually do that authentication between us, potentially. And that's very exciting. So you're building up the IP and the product as you go. And when you're putting those algorithms on something like a cell phone, the cell phone, what you've got is a set of images, for instance, that you initially took when you muted the twin of the watch. Now you're going to take a second set and compare those to the first set. If you're doing that with a desktop machine, then you've got high-quality lenses in both instances. But if during the second occasion you're using a cell phone, that's a very different way of capturing that image. Now you've got to work to use image stabilization, auto capture, autofocus, perhaps some light filters. You're dealing with users who may not be too good with a phone. There are plenty of those. You know, excuse my French, but you've got to cope with the idiot factor, right? Otherwise, people just throw their phone down and say, this is crap, right? So the amount of work involved in getting into the APIs of the native camera apps and using those features in various combinations to get an idiot-proof experience there is immense. And we've made enormous ground with it. We've accomplished matching with cell phone pictures. And now we're just working on scaling those and making the user experience more robust. That's going to take time, as is often the case with these hard tech problems. You know, the last mile, particularly with usability and something like this, you know, is 50% of the work, if not more. But we're approaching those last miles for the more mature versions of the product. What's the business model that Origin has come up with to take advantage of these industry plays? Well, Origin has a token and its single token exists across any industry vertical. I won't divulge all the detail because there's white papers and things which will be available shortly, but there is concept of staking. So you can stake, but only in one industry vertical at a time. And uh, you will enjoy governance rights in that vertical if you do so. And if there's any surplus economic value, you know, that has to be allocated somewhere. So I'm sure you can read between the lines there. <laughs> Some of the benefits of token holding. Because you, as a token holder, you'll benefit from governance influence, there's almost the necessity that, say, De Beers, hypothetically, controlling 30% plus of the diamond market, really wants to make sure they hold at least 30% of those tokens. Not necessarily, and I would argue that that is far too much. And, you know, one of the great things about Yes, these still evolving systems is that, you know, I think we've seen to an extent, we will see further that they'll have a self-leveling kind of effect where you have too much control, then people lose faith in the platform as an open ecosystem and you kind of 
begin to retard it and effectively blow all 10 toes off with one shot if you're not careful, right? So, you know, it can be a learning experience also for industry players. But, you know, part of the big carrot here is to solve common problems. And, you know, I think we've spoken previously, Arthur, about the fact that, you know, if you phrase the questions correctly to these prospective partners and talk about, well, you know, how do you view counterfeiting? How do you view super fakes? And you put some questions up on the board about how they feel about it and what they should do about their feelings and their problems, right? And inevitably, you know, when it comes to the hard question, which is, do you want to solve this yourself? And do you want to fund that? Do you want to resource it? Do you want to keep employing and retaining the kind of IP that's required to sort of lead that forever? When really this is just a problem that's just incredibly common to every player in your industry. Why on earth wouldn't you pool the resources and the assets to solve the problem and mutually gain that benefit together and govern the progress towards that? You know, Origin's not sitting there governing the platform. We're developing things and deploying it ultimately as an asset that those industry players will govern together. And so if it's a common foe, then that's not such a hard sell. What it also brings is common possible benefits. Some of those are mutually exclusive and some of them maybe end up being competitive. But that's where you get into the space where you're thinking, well, maybe I should go first. Because some of these benefits might be finite and maybe I shouldn't be a fast or slow follower here. Why don't I get in and have these problems solved together and at the same time get a seat at the head table on figuring out how to create new value out of this ecosystem? I love how this is industry-wide. It allows an industry to collaborate without sacrificing positional advantage. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one thing I'd really like to add, Arthur, is if we come back to the internet computer and another reason why I think it's the only choice for us is it's not just a tech stack, right? So it's an extraordinary tech stack, but, you know, we talked about backup and failover and all that stuff before, but there's, there are new commercial constructs, new legal constructs. There are new instruments like tokens, which are very important to the proper functioning of the system. They're not speculative instruments. They're fundamentally important to the proper functioning of the system and governance. And, you know, we need a stack that can accommodate not just, you know, nicely transparent and tamper-proof data and code and so forth, but we need a stack that can accommodate these new types of organizations, new kinds of governance models, new kinds of incentives, systems, even funding. And the IC stack comes with a whole lot of that stuff baked in, a whole lot of it, right? And ultimately all of it, I would hazard a guess. And... Yeah, so you can surface, for instance, the awesome work that's gone on to figure out how the governance model will work for the internet computer. You can surface that, components of it, into your own pan-industry platform and leverage all of that extraordinary work. Now, your alternative is to go away and, and I'm not here to bash other protocols at all, right? You know, this, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. But, you know, when people take copies of a protocol and create a private chain and there's a bunch of people that are running the nodes and they're the same people that are doing governance and there's no separation there, and then they realise they've all got to fund it 
and then it's not really very decentralized and, you know, you just go down, 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 down into this rabbit hole and, um, you know, a lot of those solutions just don't have the stack that we need. We just have to build a whole lot of additional stuff, a whole lot of additional stuff if we went into those protocols. This makes me think of like Hyperledger in all of its incarnations, of which there are numerous. And there have been a bunch of these consortium ledger plays, but none of them really appear to have delivered any transformational value. Yeah. Again, I don't want to bash any protocols, but if we could have built these kinds of things on them, we would have already. But nothing against anything. We want to get this stuff to market. So they all have shortcomings that are too difficult to surmount without enormous amounts of work in R&D. And then I look at Dom and his team doing all of that work at the network level. Of course, I think, great. Okay, excellent work, guys. We'll just use that, right, and work on our business logic, what we're solving for for industry, how we can be transparent, how we can be totally trustworthy and tamper-proof and so forth, right, and how we can get that sort of industry-facing stuff to market and not have to solve all those incredibly complex problems, which, you know, the 200 people over however many years it's been, that's what it takes, right? It's been a compartmentalization of accomplishments, and I think that's been the right answer. And now we have a network protocol that can do it, right? And so the next 6, 12, 18, 24 months, it's going to be super exciting for us. Now we've got the bedrock, right? And, you know, Dom's like the flagstone in the bedrock, an extraordinary team to build that wall. And um, it's an incredible accomplishment, you know, all credit to them. And, you know, there's all sorts of things being said in the market. And it's this funny space, of course, the crypto space. You know, Dom has not got a bad bone in his body. The guy could have done all sorts of things in the last years, you know, in the 27 ICO crazy phase there. And, you know, he's always been like 100% focused on this mission, delivering this value, and no one online is going to stop any of that, right? It's already an extraordinary accomplishment. I'm super excited for them, and I'm super excited for us, and what the world is going to enjoy as a result. It's not going to solve all of society's ills, but I tell you what, it's going to actually knock a few of them off, a few really big ones. So we've got a lot to look forward to. I'm glad to hear you say it because you of all people, I mean, you've been working on the internet computer for longer than absolutely anyone. And you've kind of been the ultimate true believer. So <laughs> it's awesome to see that this has finally come about. I do remember thinking, oh, man, poor Mike, as this continually was delayed and delayed and delayed. But here we are and we've got the thing in hand. And it's like you say, it's just as good, if not better than, you know, we ever imagined. Yeah, I'm really happy for you. Yeah, let's see what we can all do together here because there's plenty of room for improvement out there in the world. I'd say so. Well, thanks so much, Mike. Where can people find out more about Origin? You can find me on Twitter, but you know, on the origin.ch website, there's a way to contact us there. I'm uh, Kazoli on Twitter, but you can find us on origin, O-R-I-G-Y-N.ch. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, I'll let you go and let's catch up again before too long to follow up on some of these mysterious partnerships that you yeah. talk abstractly about. It'll be fantastic to divulge them shortly. And uh, always great to see you, Arthur. Fantastic. 
The Internet Computer Weekly has a sister newsletter featuring news, project updates, interesting tidbits and reading that come up over the course of the week. Together they are part of a larger effort at ecosystem building we are calling the Cycle DAO. Visit cycledao.xyz to subscribe and learn more.